Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to Second Opinion with me, Dr. Christian. This is your weekly medical podcast where we deal with all the hot topics that are important and affect us all. On the menu, as always, is, I hope, useful advice and informed opinion. But I must make it clear, if you feel unwell, you should always seek medical help, either by using the NHS 111 helpline, consulting your GP, or visiting your nearest hospital. (sighs) Right, that's the official disclaimer done. Now, on with the show. With me, as always, is Alec Stanger, who performs an invaluable role passing me scalpel forceps, <laughs> retractors, and keeping me on the straight and narrow. Yeah, well, I just think it's one a retractor, of isn't it, Christian, most of the time? Yeah, yeah something like yeah, that. Yeah. Christian, don't say that! <laughs> That's basically it. And stops me getting sued, so thanks for that, Alex. And I we're try. delighted to welcome this week's special guest. It is Lauren Mann. Hiya! The reason Lauren's here is because this week's topic is cancer. Something that no one really likes to talk about, Another but time. is affecting more and more and more and more of us. Now the number is one in two of us. Yep. I think only a year or so ago it was one in three, and mm-hmm. now it's gone to one in two. It's one in two. What do we think about that? Well, if it, if it means that if it's not you, it's someone you love, isn't mm. it? Really, mm. um, and that means it's going to it's, it's going to affect most more of us, and we need to talk more about it. Sorry to interrupt you. Though, and the reason Lauren's here, I should say, is because you've had breast cancer. I have had breast cancer, yes, which is really ironic because I'm the girl with the smallest tits in the world. <laughs> it's always that way, isn't always it? That it's way. Always that way. How annoying! I mean, you think honestly with these, surely I, I'd get this. Honestly, I wouldn't get that. I had health anxiety, and I used to worry about everything else. I'd be like, oh, what if I got a brain tumor? Or what if I got this? Or what if I never for one second thought. I would get breast cancer because I thought you had to have an ample bosom. Mm. Oh, how wrong I was. <laughs> oh, how wrong. I think, you know, cancer's, <laughs> per, on a personal level, I mean, it's extraordinary. My best, best friend from school, Susan, she died aged 37 from bowel cancer. Yeah. I mean, that's no age at all. Is no. it my age at 37. My mother's had breast cancer. My aunt has just been diagnosed with breast cancer. So it is coming in thick mm. and fast from all mm. sides. Have you got experience in your family? My father cancer? died from cancer. Your father died from yeah. cancer. So yeah, it, when it I, is, was, well, I was 26, he was 50. So I suppose now that's that's young, that is young. Isn't it? That is young. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Is. yeah. So Lauren, what I should say and really make clear is that you are one of three on you, me, and the big C, yes. which obviously was became. I mean, it was already a big podcast, mm-hmm. but it became it was propelled. Yeah, it still into is. The, it yeah. still is a massive yeah. podcast, but it really did catch everybody's imagination. And Rachel Bland, who was one of your cohorts on that, sadly died, and. I think that there was an outpouring of grief. Mm-hmm. I think also the, the the great thing about the podcast is Rachel obviously was coming at this from a professional mm-hmm. level. I mean, she was a five live presenter. Mm-hmm. You and um, Deborah didn't have that background. No. 
And the three of you talking about this from very different points of view, it, it was really really great stuff very emotive yeah it's very emotive and also for us it's very cathartic like we got into a room and we were talking to like our peers our support network sat in a room and people just listening in the conversation do you know what I mean it was it it, it really did help us as much as it helped other people and it still does I know Deb and I take a lot of comfort from going and having these conversations um Rach, I feel like I learned a lot from Rachel. She's such a professional. But also, I think the podcast really kind of softened Rach up to it a bit. She's such a broadcaster. When we first started, she'd always be like watching the clock and like be quite scripted. And then as the podcast went on, you hear her relax and you see more of Rachel, who Rachel is, rather than Rachel, the podca- um, the broadcaster. Um, so I just feel very, very grateful and very honoured uh, that I was asked onto the pod because it's become a little bit of a lifeline for Deb and I. Mm. Um, and just to be able to have known that woman. Is, is such a privilege as well. She's a great woman. And I'm really proud to continue it with Steve. Her husband's on the pod with us now, so that's great. Lauren, where are you with your cancer treatment? Is it over and done and finished? or mm, It's it's hard one. So active treatment, as they say, is over. So actually yesterday I celebrated my um, two-year end of chemo. So I finished chemo two years ago. And that I'm like, wow, that feels like so long ago. But actually, that is quite recent. Um, but I am on medication now to prevent the cancer coming back. So I am on a drug called tamoxifen, um, which blocks the receptor for hormones in my certain parts of my body, like my brain, my breasts, my vagina, which is fun. And then <laughs> I'm on a drug called Zolodex, which literally shuts your ovaries down. So I'm in full on menopause at the age of 34, which is glamorous let me tell you because that was the thing where I think you've really hit a moment haven't you because obviously Mm. you did your podcast and then you've got your own website and your own blog which is girl versus cancer which is great because it's from a young person's point of view because you were only what 30 when you were diagnosed 31 when you were diagnosed so it's a very different thing to be told at 31 and then I suppose that probably at my age I probably would have thought that well I have got really close Mm. friends that have had breast cancer Mm. but you think once you get over over 40 maybe it's a bit more common I think that we're at 31 that must have been a bit of a shock it was a huge shock because we don't have breast cancer in my family so for some right. people there's like the BRCA gene thing um, and like if you've had ovarian cancer or breast cancer in your family it could be quite common for that to be hereditary we don't have breast cancer in my family we have cancer in my family for sure and um, my mum actually had cervical cancer at 26 so she survived she's doing phenomenally well um, she's in her 50s and living living her best life um, but there was no real reason that I would ever get it and I wasn't checking my breasts because guess what? No one told me I needed to worry about doing that. So I, I was oblivious. It was just, luckily, I've got a small bosom that I noticed a lump quite quickly. But it was a massive shock. Massive shock. And it, as we said, like at 31, you know, I'm, I'm really, my career was just booting off. Mm. I just moved out of my parents' home for the first time. I was independent. I'm single. I'm sociable. To have the rug pulled from under you, being young and being diagnosed with cancer has very different lifestyle implications to if you were older and you maybe are married, have a family, have children you need to tell, have a mortgage. There's different variants in terms of how it impacts you. So no one was really telling that side of the, st- the tale, really. Do you think we as medics, in your experience, sort of mm. deal with that side of things well enough? Or is it much more focused on the science and the medicine and we leave all that up to you? It's very much like a mechanic, isn't it? Like we're coming into a garage with a broken part and your guy's job is to fix that part. Mm. What goes on outside of that, whether you have to now get a bus to work, whether you have to like, you know, get an Oyster card, like that's not for you to think about, you know. Do you I think, think it should be? Yeah, and I do think it is getting better. In terms of my clinical nurse specialists and stuff, they really did go out of their way to kind of inform me of things. Like there's um, a thing called the cold cap, 
which um, I know a lot of people who have had cancer haven't been told about. I was lucky enough that I did. So for the listeners, a cold cap is a very clever contraption. And what it does is it lowers the temperature of the scalp only to like 18 degrees, 22 degrees. It's not a contraceptive, Alex. In case yes, you were yes, it's not a contraceptive. Right. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it would be a fun one if it was. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's got a cold Ooh, cap in. Oh, oh watch yeah. it. It's designed, yeah. it's designed yeah. to put the man off more than... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what Sorry, it would be. carry on. This is serious. This is serious. <laughs> well, it's, well it's, it's just very clever. So it lowers the temperature. So what happens is the blood vessels don't reach the hair follicle. So the drug bypasses the hair follicle. So it doesn't freeze your scalp, as you're told. Um, it just lowers the temperature. It is cold, but it does it does help people. Rachel, um, who was on the, my podcast, she kept most of her hair. She thinned, but you wouldn't know. And I think for mums and stuff or like dads, if you've got young children, you don't necessarily want them to know you're going through your chemo and like it retains some sense of normality. Even for me, I, d- I wanted to look like myself as much as I could. So one of the things that chemo does yeah. um, is it's designed to kill rapidly dividing cells because yeah. that's exactly what cancer is. It's it's an immortal cell. It never dies. Mm. It, it divides very rapidly and, and uncontrollably. But we also have other cells like that in the body, like your hair, which is rapidly dividing and growing, the lining of your gut, the yeah. lining of your mouth. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. chemo is not sort of specific to cancer. So it, it, it damages all of those things. Yeah. So the cold cap, if you can sort of reduce blood flow and i.e. stop yeah. the chemo going to the hair, you've got a chance of keeping the hair, which yeah. is, it's, it's a good, you're losing your hair, particularly I think for women, it's a big deal. Yeah, well, it's part of who you are, isn't it? It's like, it's part of your identity. And I feel it's really a shame that, you know, I've been had feedback from like girls in my community that, you know, from their oncology teams and stuff, their priority obviously is to get them well. And they don't really care about that side of things as part and parcel of cancer. But actually, it's not vanity at all. It's control. And it's a sense of self because there's nothing worse than looking in the mirror and seeing someone look so ill. It scares you. Mm. You don't recognise yourself. It makes you feel... For me, it made me wobble a little bit um, in terms and of people treat you differently. They? Yeah, they do, and you get the head tilt, and you get all that jazz, and you just don't need it. <laughs> you just don't need it. So I think it's a really powerful thing um, to be able to offer people. But again, I think so. There's not this standard of care across everywhere, so people don't often know. Mm. I was really lucky that my oncology team were really for it, and anything that would make me feel like me. So they they put me forward for it, and I had it, but. It's not the same everywhere. I was very lucky with my team, I think. They were quite understanding in terms of lifestyle to the point where they pushed back my radiotherapy a week so I could go to Glastonbury after I finished chemotherapy. <laughs> priorities, <laughs> priorities, right? Exactly. You told me that story before. And hadn't you just had surgery the month before? Yeah, so I'd finished my I'd finished my chemo, obviously at the beginning of April, end of March. I'd had my surgery in the May and then in the June I was at Glastonbury and I began radio in July. What I think is one of the key things about you, me and the Big C, which went listening to it, is the fact that none of you, you all seem to be getting on with it. I mean, each one of you were getting on on with things. It's not. No, I think that's. I think it's bloody brilliant, and I think mm. that it should be. That, that that's why it's such a great podcast because you go. Actually, these people are still getting on with life, mm. and they're going and doing a five k, although they probably shouldn't be doing <laughs> it. You know, and um, and I think that that's brilliant because I think if we just think that everybody's going to be mm. lie down and go, okay, 
I'm going to try and just... Obviously, everyone's got different ways of dealing with it. But I think the image is, you've got cancer, right? Okay, I'm just going to put some cotton wool around you. And I'm going to just make sure that you sit there and do everything for the next year that I tell you. And then... I'll reveal you're cured. So and I don't my... necessarily think that that's the yeah, case, obviously. Yeah, but this is so important why we had to have the conversation because that's just, that's what I thought. And some of my patients, and this, this surprised me when I first heard it, um, I thought it was a little bit crass, but I totally get it now, is they said actually life for them started when they got cancer mm-hmm. because they suddenly sort of realised its value and started doing things yep. and living, whereas before it was like, you know, routine, routine, slobbering about on the sofa, not doing very much, and then suddenly... One doesn't want to use the word phrase wake up call because it's such a cliche, yeah. but there it is, you know. I agree, and they start though. living. Yeah, I do. Like me and Deborah both say, like, we live bigger, fuller life since our diagnosis than we did before. Because, you know, you're, you're comfortably numb in your life. I think we're all guilty of that. Like, we have our ways, we have our routines, you kind of plod along. I know I felt really quite lost as a like young woman navigating my way through society these days and like you can have it all but do you want it all and what do I actually want I don't know do I want kids I don't know and then you're put in a room and said okay you've got cancer um do you want children because you're gonna be infertile and all this stuff and you're like I I don't actually know but it made me go I actually want to think about my life and hang on this isn't a test so I have to actually start living a life that I'm proud of and that I want to live because this could all end tomorrow and it is it is that cliche it is the wake up call um but i also think there's a as well you know for a lot of people their way of coping is to kind of bury their head denial get on with it and that's fine i think whatever your way of coping is fine um i think just me and deb and rachel have kind of just similar mindsets that's why we bonded so quickly i think mm. our way of dealing with coping is just get like throwing ourselves head first into everything that yeah. makes us happy and keeping ourselves really busy and it's done all right for us all and having a laugh and having and a laugh that's yeah. the thing that, that, that and there's nothing wrong with that no yeah. people get very uncomfortable um, you may like that's it. the thing that is the thing so do you think i mean like uh, obviously you all had cancer that made the difference isn't it because yeah. you can have that dark humor yeah, whereas I mean, if i'm sitting there you know that just doesn't work because i can't even begin to think oh what you're God. going through on a daily it happens basis all the time like me and deb like our jokes bomb all the time so deb oh, <laughs> deb's is in a place where deb's is stage four and so she lives with cancer and but obviously but what happens when you have a cancer diagnosis it does your anxiety in terms of your health does go through the roof mm. um every ache every pain now is like is that cancer is this a symptom of something and with deb i'm with her a lot so there'll be times she'll be like i've been getting these headaches do you think it's this do you think it's that and i almost have to talk her off a ledge which is hard when you can't reassure someone 100 percent. but we now laugh and joke about it so like she'll be like i've been getting these headaches i'm like mate it's probably brain makes you dying and she's like oh i am on i'm like probably she'll probably get a scan but for us we find it funny and it's a way of coping with that re- reality when we tell people that, or we did a panel recently this week and we said about this and we were crying, laughing on stage, and you could see people like, really oh my God. And I'm like, but, you know, I'm, I can say that to her. Yeah. It's very like medics. We have very, very dark sense of humour that yeah. I would never dream of sort of <laughs> revealing some of the jokes we make to, to the general public. But it's the way of coping. Yeah, it is isn't coping. It? It's, it's, um, I wanted to talk about, about cancer in general because I think there's so many myths and misunderstandings mm. about cancer. Yes. Um, cancer's not one thing. We always lump it in as mm. one thing, but there are so many different types of cancers. And did you know we're getting cancer all the time? You're getting mm. it probably now. And now, and now, all the time, our bodies, our cells are mutating, our DNA is mutating into a potentially cancerous cell. But actually, most of the time, our immune systems, our immune surveillance spots it, 
mops it up, gets rid of it, destroys it. So it's only actually relatively rarely, although becoming more common, mm. that it actually turns into a problem. Mm. Does that worry you? Why is it you? becoming more common? Why? I think it's, it's, a, it, yeah. it's like it's a million dollar question. It's a, it's a million point answer mm. in that right. I think, you know, there are many, many different things. We're living longer. Our lifestyles have changed dramatically. I think, if you really want to get sciencey, I think it's an evolutionary mismatch. So we're designed, mm-hmm. we've evolved one way, but we're living another way, mm-hmm. a, a way completely different from the way that we evolved to. And that is causing us massive problems. All mm-hmm. right? For instance, we wear, well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on women now. No. You wear high heels. Mm. You were not designed to wear high heels, okay? Is that a fair point? Mm-hmm. That's not too... That's a fair point. That's why mm. I don't wear them. You know, and it cripples women. So that's sort yeah. of a very bad, but, you know. The other thing is we've designed life to be easy. We have mm. escalators, we have lifts, yes. we have cars. Mm. So we don't really move. Whereas mm. before, we'd, we'd have to chase our dinner and catch yeah, it. Yeah. You know, whereas don't have to do any of that these days. Mm-hmm. So the way we've evolved to live is completely different to the way we do actually live. Cultural evolution versus biological evolution. Yeah. Wow, that was deep, wasn't it? That was, that was impressive. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's a, there's a real bugbear I have, and it's it's something that I want to talk to you about because, you know, there's loads of myths and rumours, and the, I think the single most annoying thing I hear that makes my sphincter literally clench <laughs> tight in annoyance is this: oh, you know, big pharma, they're all they're all just in it for the money, Honestly. and they've got they've got the cure for cancer, but they're they're holding it back because they just want to keep making money. Have you heard that one? Yeah, and I'm, I've been very close to decking people that say that to me. I've had like people actually, my friends, that go, well, you know, like so someone like said to me you know but I do I just think that they've got the cure and I just looked at my mates you're telling me that my friend died because a big farmer's holding a drug back you're telling me that I went through chemotherapy because someone's holding a drug back I've met these people I've been into these research labs and I'm telling you now they are working relentlessly to make us well to make the treatments kinder to figure out how cancer is mutating the way it is like and so like frequently now one in two I do not believe for any one second big farmer has the cure for cancer. Of course not. There isn't so, one cure. There isn't a cure. And also, people in research get cancer. They do. And unfortunately die of cancer. Mm. And, you know, you'd have thought if they were hiding... So that's, you know, one myth I yeah. want to just 
put away forever because mm. it's it's offensive actually it's to really the people offensive. to the scientists who dedicate their lives yeah. to researching these things it really isn't is it? and for the patient as well you almost feel like you're being con then you're like saying you know it's like when I said I was going to have chemo and people are like you sure you want to go the chemo route and I'm like yeah because I want to live you sure you don't want to try homeopathy yeah, first yeah you sure you don't want to just eat broccoli all the time I'm like <laughs> no I actually don't it was really funny I was actually just been away to Tanzania really like I had an amazing trip away and we went to a spice farm and this guy we like pulled out like one of the roots like this is turmeric and I just got my phone out and I just went I went here you go guys the cure for cancer in the field here it is because we get bombarded with all this yeah. stuff yeah. and I think it's really unfair but what it does it's also kind of insulting to the person you're sending it to like do you think for one second if that was the cure for cancer then people would be having that on IV you know I think there's a lot to be said in terms of complementary therapy and I think that's the term complementary yeah I so believe. it's alongside so yeah. rather than alternative it's alongside so you could eat a bit better but yeah. does that do you th- I mean did you get oh, people yeah. sending you diets and stuff yeah, when but, you were... but there's no cure so for me no. it's like I eat well anyway, but that's just common sense. It's like if you're going to, it's like training for a marathon. Mm. If you're about to run a marathon, you don't just all of a sudden go and run a marathon. You train for it. When you're going into cancer treatment, you need to get your body in prime position because it's going to go through a lot physically. Mm. So you want to make sure that you're healthy, that your stamina is good, that you're eating well, because it just puts you on a better footing than if you weren't. And like I do credit like myself, Touchwood, for doing so well throughout my treatment, actually coping quite well with the side effects because I was physically well and I was physically healthy. So there is a lot to be... It's just common sense stuff, though, but yeah. it's it's not going to cure your cancer. You know, Rachel died of cancer and Rachel was a triathlete. Rachel, mm. like trained hard ate well you know she didn't dr- smoke she didn't drink a great deal like she liked to drink like normal amounts but it, it doesn't you can't say that's the reason no. so I just yeah I'm, I have a real umbrage with people that send me that stuff and I actually I'm like no I think it's really important for cancer patients as well to kind of feel that they have a say in the treatment that works for them you know some people I've been told that I can come off of my Zoladex drug because the medical menopause is really harsh and it is really impacting my life. However, I know for my mental health, if I were to come off it this soon and get cancer again, I'd blame myself. So I have decided that. But it's my decision. And I think it's important for patients to know that they have a choice and they should be talking with their oncology teams to make sure that the treatments are working for them so they can have a quality of life. So often that is the complementary therapies alongside traditional ones mm. and finding that happy balance that works for them. Mm. But to say that, you know, go and eat broccoli yeah. or, yeah. you know, CBD oil will cure it, I'm like, it's not going to cure it, but it will help. You met one of your idols, didn't you? When, when you were doing some research, you met the guy that invented one of your um, yeah. drugs that you were yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, I, that must have been amazing. Yeah, it was very emotional. And I was really trying hard not to cry on him because obviously if you scientists, you meet them, they can be quite straight laced and like just very kind of emotionally removed, I guess, from that situation. And that's why many of the scientists we met said, actually, I don't, I can't be an oncologist because I couldn't deal with the emotional impact, but in the science labs, I can detach. Mm. And to meet the man that had given me a drug that had melted my cancer away was pretty special. So you don't think he was withholding it? So he's not he, a baddie in the pay of big pharma? He's not a baddie. He's a very incredible man. I'm very proud to have met him. And the work him and his team do is changing people's lives and saving people's lives. And it was I felt very privileged to, to have the honour of meeting him. Not many people get to do that, do they? No. no and I don't so. think we sing their praises enough either, actually. No, I, I don't. might be biased. But not the medics, but the researchers yeah. who are actually coming up with these treatments, who get paid, you know, really not a lot, no. who work very long hours and dedicate themselves. It's passion, isn't it? And, really and, and for them, it was really lovely. So when Deb and I were in, in the research labs and we got to meet with the scientists, their response to us actually was quite emotive and they were just like, 
we never get to meet the people we help because they're in a lab and they're all together and they're like figuring things out, sharing information. But to actually see the patient in front of them, especially Deb, who's in treatment ongoing, it's very powerful and impactful. And I think that's something that I would definitely encourage is to kind of have that cross communication mm. because, you know, there may be things that Deb and I have said and they're like, oh, we didn't even think about that um, in terms of like your, how you feel and what could improve your quality of life with treatments and stuff. One thing that really upsets people when, 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 when I talk about it, maybe it's just mm. me, I don't know, when I tweet about it, is a lot of cancers, it's true to say, are lifestyle related, mm-hmm. all right? Um, that makes people very angry because mm. I then get immediately a flurry of tweets back saying, so you're saying my cancer's my fault, mm. are you? And, mm. you know, that's not what it's about. But mm. actually, you know, it's what I was just saying before. Lifestyle does play a massive yeah. role. In your case, almost certainly yeah, not, yeah. actually. It was a genetic yeah. abnormality that happened. Yeah. It was an unlucky fluke. Mm. But actually, you know, being overweight, all the various mm. things that we do that we probably know we shouldn't do, actually all play mm. a massive part in yeah. the likelihood of whether or not we develop cancer. Yeah, because it, it can up your risk. But I think as well, it's like, it's really hard one. So like Deborah was the vegetarian um, gymnast mm. who like worked, like was too powerful. You got a 50-year-old man's disease and bowel cancer. And and as such, because she was the age she was and her lifestyle was the way it was, it got t- detected late because she was being sent away. Yes, I was going to say, because you just don't expect it. I mean, do you yeah. think that happened with you as well? Because you didn't really have the... you know, you didn't I got ha- sent away. You get sent away. I got sent away. I was in the hospital that I later got diagnosed in. I got sent away. If it wasn't for me and, God bless Tina, my mum, if it weren't for Tina being on my case about getting this lump checked, I would hate to think if I might not be in the position I am in now where I'm clear. I might have been living with this disease for the rest of my life too. So what, what do we do about that? I this is my maybe I've got like just this rose tinted glasses way of thinking, but I just feel like in terms of our NHS system, which I know is really stretched and, and it breaks my heart that it is, but I do feel like sometimes we need to do a top to bottom approach. Like let's rule out the stuff that's going to kill us, mm-hmm. and then say it's IBS. Like you know, it's 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 saying okay, so you're you're coming up with at least three of the five red flags for cancer. It doesn't feel like it's. It could be because of your age and lifestyle factors, but they are still red flags. Let's rule that out because then it would save time on scans, backwards and forwards, GP time, everything, because you're dealing with it at the source. We've ruled that out so we know it's not that right. Is it this now? Is it this now? Is it this now? And what's happening is people have been sent away saying, oh, it's a cyst. I'm not wor-. They, they say, I'm not worried about it. You say that to a patient, they're not going to come back because I'm not worried. Mm. And they did it with Deb. Deb was being sent away, sent away, and she was losing a lot of blood in her in her stool, a lot of blood. And not one point did anyone ask her how much. And it's and like if she's showing all these factors, they should have ruled out a bowel cancer first, and then that's how I'd like to well. see things done. It, it happens yeah. a lot with gynecological cancers, with, yeah. with, with women's cancers, because and I, do you know what I think there's. It's not about blame. I don't. Want, no, we're not going to no go blame. into blame, but I think very often women themselves shrug things off as women's problems yeah. for want of a better mm-hmm. expression i think doctors definitely we know we do that mm. we go probably you know yeah. we do a sort of watch and wait approach which i sort of get because mm. i think thinking about it on our mm. part there's a reluctance to mm. diagnose people with cancers mm. we don't want to do that mm. we don't like doing it at all yeah. it's a horrible thing to have mm. to do and i suspect that plays into the sort of psychology of you don't want it to be so it's a sort of denial on our part yeah, um, if really? anything else it's interesting. Uh, possibly possibly um it shouldn't be there but i suspect it is um so more more awareness and actually us listening to you guys more would yeah. help wouldn't it and i think like you know you i say this all the time you know your body better than anyone else anybody else you know if something's not right 
And you can always put things down to lifestyle factor. You can always say, oh, I've been a really busy week. I'm tired, this, that. You know, there's all these different things that you can say. But the fact of the matter is, if something's abnormal in your in your body, whether that be a lump, whether it be how you feel, you know your body. So I think it's being persistent. And actually, you know, I've I've got friends who have not left GP's offices until they've got referral letters because they're like, I need this checked and I'm not going anywhere until it's checked. Which I'm like, if you know your body, half the time you're right. The gut was the first human brain. Way before we evolved to the point where we are now, when we were hunter-gatherers, everything, that is what we trusted. We trusted our gut when we should hunt, when we should do this, when the baby was coming. We didn't have that kind of cognitive function. So I think now we still need to be trusting our gut. And you know when something's not right. Yeah. I actually had a panic attack on holiday the month before I got diagnosed. I woke up in the night and I was really anxious and I didn't feel right in my body and stuff. And in the back of my head, I knew it was because of this lump hadn't been checked. And I, I didn't feel right. I didn't feel right. And I trusted that and I went back and booked that doctor's appointment. I mean, one thing that I think will really change cancer is NHS mm. have introduced NHS genomics, mm. which is getting a lot of flack because people are saying, oh, surely we should be spending money on better things than mm. profiling people's DNA. But no. actually, I think this is going to provide some really valuable answers mm. um, for better targeted treatments. Yep. In fact, we're going to talk to the head of NHS genomics in another podcast. <gasps> That's going to be interesting. It is, I'm looking forward to listen to that one and you got excited by that why yeah. did, why why are you excited because about? everything i'm learning yeah about cancer having been in cancer world now for two years mm. three years almost is that that is the future of cancer treatment so we're now like tumor mapping there's a thing called the peace study where they actually take tumors from people who have died from cancer they can donate their organs and they're learning about what makes a cancer cell a killer cancer cell how it mutates how it grows they're mapping out the cancer's pathways and they're learning from the genetics of the of that person mm. could they have predicted this is there something in their cells and their dna that makes them more susceptible to this type of cancer or that one they can maybe predict how the cancer might move in the body so they can be more aware, they can target those areas and preventative medicines or be more like vigilant with them. That is the future, and also but we not can just look for at, cancer. Yeah. Also, we can look at, you know, which treatments are going to be right. Are you likely to get certain side effects mm. because you're genetically more predisposed to getting side effects from one type of drug and help yeah. you avoid those? And that applies mm. to all medicine and yeah. all drugs. But yeah. it's... It's interesting, isn't it? Because like with, with my chemotherapy, we were fully prepared for me to be throwing up all the time and stuff. I got sick once the whole of my treatments and that was when I was neutropenic when my blood my white blood count like was on the floor and that's when I knew something was really wrong and was hospitalised but that was one time and that's just that's how I reacted but I've got friends who had the same drug absolutely so ill from like throwing up and stuff that's what uh, when you listen to your podcast mm. um, you really get the impression I mean like something that might work for you doesn't necessarily work for no. the others and I think that's really great to shine a light on that to say that it's yeah. not one size fits all um, that, that everyone yeah. has a different reaction and that's why the conversation's so important yeah. because the thing is it's like I think people it's that thing isn't it like you lock it in the back room and say oh, they've got cancer we don't talk mm. about that mm. but I think by just having an open conversation we're not you're not jinxing yourself. You're not by saying, talking about cancer, you're not going to now go and get it. But it's understanding, like, what actually happens when you do. And I'm treating people more of a person than as a patient because you're still who you are. And I I just know that from talking to my cancer community, so Girl vs Cancer came about because I couldn't find women like me to talk to. Yeah. I've been the social media whisk kid I am by trade. I was like, Girl vs Cancer, check the hashtag. No one had used it. I was like, hello. <laughs> How has this happened? Mine. And I started to have these conversations. And the minute I was talking about what I was going through, 
all of these other people were coming to me going, I had the same side effect. Have you tried this instead? And you have that support system. Um, and I think it's such an important thing to do because otherwise, you know, you get lost in leaflets. You get a lot of leaflets when you get cancer. The amount <laughs> we of trees, love honestly. You, the we? amount of trees, yeah. yeah. I, I was like, I cannot. Honestly, it was it's thick. I could have used it as a mattress. I mean, th- there's a lot to be said for that, the sense of community. I mean, you know, you get it in all areas of medicine. Look at mental health. Suddenly, mm. people find online communities. They suddenly have got support. They don't feel alone. They're mm. not the weird, freaky person with a weird, freaky disease. Yeah. There are other people like them out there yeah. worrying about the same things. Exactly. And there are often things that we, the medics, don't begin yeah. to even consider. What What advice would you give to people actually not with cancer, but who know mm. people with cancer. Because mm. I think we do find it quite hard to talk about. Mm. And you sort of say it like when you're talking about your, your downstairs, mm, you know, yeah. it's like you've got cancer. Yeah. How would you say people approach the subjects with, with people they know who have it? I think the main important thing to remember is they've got cancer, but they're still the person they are. And as someone who's had cancer, I'm telling you now, the look in your friends' faces, the look in people's eyes when they find out, it's terrifying. Like, you, they made me scared of what I had, not me. At the start of a diagnosis, you'll know this, Doctor, from, like, everything that happens. Like, you're literally back-to-back scans. You don't know what's going on for a good couple of weeks most of the time. And people are just throwing questions at you. I think the main important thing is... People want to be there right away. They want to shower you with all this comfort and support, but then they seem to disappear after when, when everything really gets going. I think just listening to what that person needs, letting them know that you're there, mm. and it's the practical things. So it's saying to someone, right, Tuesday you've got your chemotherapy, I'm going to pick you up at this time and drop you to the hospital at this time, yeah? And you're a bit like, oh, okay, yeah, thank you, because you wouldn't want to ask for that yourself. There was a brilliant bit in one of the podcasts with Rachel where she said that she delegated things to various, like a sister-in-law mm. to make a scrapbook of all the press yeah. R- yeah. Uh, to do with the, you, me and the big yeah. C, and then another yeah. friend yeah. to look yeah. through old photos. Yeah. And I thought that's amazingly yeah. practical, but brilliant as well. Because you take the pressure off. Takes the pressure off, yeah. you thinking. So those moments where she could have more time with Freddie... Mm. Because otherwise you're yeah. thinking, oh my God, I've got to get the, all the scrapbooks yeah. sorted yeah. and all that. I mean, what great practical advice. It is. And I'll tell you one thing that you should really try and avoid. We, we laugh and joke about this in cancer, mm. in like the cancer community. When you get diagnosed with cancer, I don't think I've ever been asked out for coffee as much in my life. <laughs> Everyone's like, I've just heard the news. Do you want to go for coffee and talk about it? It's like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> I'm sick of talking I'm about I'm sick that. of talking about it. But it, it's nice of the offer. But I just think when you're going to someone with that, You've got to think of the reason why. Nine times out of ten, it's because you want to see that person so that you feel better for seeing them because you want to make sure they're okay. And it's not about you, it's about them. Yeah. So I it's had, giving them that space. I had so a friend important. who said that when she told people, she spent so long having to comfort the person she just told. Oh, my God, yeah. Which I find bizarre. But but at the same time, I can imagine doing it. I can imagine myself doing it, being but, so upset. that yeah. Uh, yeah. But just, you're doing it for you, not for them. Exactly. Yeah. How, how bad's that? Well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's human, human nature. Yeah. It's human, it's human nature, nature I suppose. But I think it's just being aware of that. It can really help people. So I think the main thing, the advice I give is listen. It, I remember it's a long game. It's a long game. It's not the short, immediate now. You don't need to see them for a coffee now. But I tell you what, when they're in the middle of chemo and they're too tired to walk down to the kitchen to make something to eat, how about you turn up with something and sit in the front room with them so they're not alone and eat food? You know, it's that kind of stuff. If people are worried and, and you were talking about your lump, you know, mm. what advice I give you? I, mean, it, I think it's be breast aware. Yeah. Know what your boobs feel like. If you've never given them a squeeze mm. in your life, give them a squeeze. Um, 
And people also say to me, but I'm not a doctor. I don't know what a cancer feels like. Yeah. What do I do? Actually, you don't need to be. All you need to do is notice something that wasn't there the last mm. time you checked. And that's about it, really. No, isn't that it? is true. Like, I, people are like, I don't know how to check my breasts. I'm like, you feel them. <laughs> like, there's no right. I want, you watch the TV programs that, oh, touch this and that. Fact of the matter is, as long as you're checking your breasts, like, thoroughly, whatever way that feels right for you in the shower, laying down, whatever. As long as you're doing that on a regular basis, so once a month's best because then you know your cycle and yeah. how you feel. And then if, like exactly that. If a change happens, you will know. And you'll know very quickly that I wasn't there before. And you can say to your GP, that weren't there last month. I used to spend hours on the telly, mm. you know, going through all this sort of yeah. routine of how to yeah. do it. And then I thought, no, do you know just what? All you're them. doing is looking for something that wasn't there the last time you checked. Exactly. And you're not checking for cancer. You're just knowing your breasts. I think that's the main thing to say. Know your whole body. Know your, your whole, whole body. body. All right. Yeah. So that's about it for what I thought was an amazing episode of of Second Opinion. Big thanks to Lauren for kindly joining us today and being so honest and open in talking about her experiences. I know you will have helped many, many people and will continue to do so. It's been an amazing chat. We really appreciate you coming listening. Thanks always to Alex for being my trusted wingwoman. Scalpel! Too slow, too slow. And asking the important questions that I don't manage to ask. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us. Email surgery at thepodcastworks.com or you can message me on Twitter at Dr. Christian. Please be nice. And if you'd like what you've heard feel free to give us a five star rating in fact definitely give us a five star rating that's it for this week thanks for listening and we'll see you next time flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.